You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Welcome to the first episode of season six. I can't believe we are here. We've completed five full years focusing on on all things property, tax, law, interior design, market analysis, valuations, construction, apartments, planning, infrastructure, air conditioning, landscaping, sustainable design, every topic relevant to property in Western Australia. We've covered it. We've covered over a hundred suburbs. If you want to look back over the last few years and see some of those historical conversations from a hundred of the top real estate agents in their suburbs in WA, everything's been covered and we're going to look forward now. It's episode one of season six and there's only one man that I would do it with. My really good mate, Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Todd White. Mate, thanks for coming in. Trent, thanks for having me. This is an auspicious day in it terms is. of Series 6. I can't expect that you would have ever sat there and planned out and thought that you'd be six series down the track. But my abiding memory of you talking about this initially was... How the hell are you going to have enough content to keep this thing skipping along at 7 a.m. Monday morning, 52 weeks of the year? It's yeah. crazy. Well done, man. Thank you very much. And that was probably the biggest fear of mine is not that no one would listen to it because no one was listening to it at the start. You know, in the first episode, I think we had 100 or something listens and it grew from there to thousands and thousands of people these days. But it was more about, I know we've got a lot of suburbs we can talk to. It was, can we get guests on who are actually interested in sharing their knowledge with the public, being as passionate as we are about property in Western Australia? Australia. And as you said, is there enough we can talk about? And the funny thing is that fear of mine has been allayed, to be honest, a while ago where there's always something going on. There's always a planning reform happening. There's always an update in the construction market. There's always a brand new piece of sales data that you've got to share. There's an interest rate rise or drop that we can talk about that's yeah. always affecting the market. And all of these things tie in to building that continual oil painting of how West Australia's property market evolves over time. And I thought that would be the theme of our conversation today. Obviously, we'll have a chat about where the market's at today, some really cool data points from you, some conversations about the different speeds, the different price points, the pressures that are there or not there, but also talk about what the next five years might look like for us. It's currently the 4th of December, 2023. Where will life be for us in December in 2028 in the property market? Oh my God, it's very scary. As a valuer, you know, uh, a lot of the market knows, plenty of finance brokers out there would know. We love looking in the rear view mirror, mate. Getting the crystal ball out and trying to cast forward five years is pretty scary from my point of view, but very much happy to have a crack at it. In terms of you asking that question, it makes me think that in 2028, my youngest daughter is Isabel will be just finishing year 12. So I'll have free capital yeah. ready to invest Money in to something. Spend, hey? <laughs> Straight to Europe, I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that'll be high on the agenda. So before we look forward, we have to look to today and get some context, some round numbers. And the great feedback we get from listeners of the podcast is, can you please give some more data about where the market is this week with regards to demand, supply, interest rates, all those sort of things. So let's start with that. Yep. We'll talk about quickly the reward data, which is the best data we've got. For sure. And look, my headline on that for people out in the market at the moment is FOMO, in particular in the price range between $500,000 and $800,000. There is a lot of people with the fear of missing out running through their veins every single weekend, and that's leading to them increasing their offers. So if their offer is increasing on a subject property that's, that's on the market, then that means that values are increasing essentially. So if anyone's wondering about the mix of how this work and how it works and how values go up, essentially 
the agents are marketing at a certain number that they think they'll get. And most weekends in that price range in a lot of suburbs right across Perth Metro, essentially the price range from $500,000 to $800,000, people are coming through and offering above what they think or know that the house that they missed out on last weekend achieved, and then they'll go higher again because they think that they need to up their offer to uh, get into the market. It seems like an expectation now, especially in that price point from five hundred dollars to $800,000, that if something's marketed at, let's say it's five hundred, it's expected nearly that you're going to have to at least be 10% above that to win it. Do you yeah. think that that's the reality right now? Yeah, absolutely. And we're hearing and seeing on a weekly basis, to go back to your question about weekly stats, people coming back from the mortgage belt type suburbs, and need to kind of generalise here, but if you go around the compass to north, northeast, southwest, southeast of Perth, in those suburbs that have a $500,000 price range, then we're easily seeing from our valuers as they come in through doing those contracts the week after, the finance valuation contracts 550 is an easy number and what we've been talking about in the office is that the new headline around this is that the $400,000 of 2021 is the $600,000 of 2023 so that's where the market's jumped put aside all the REWA stats and the core logic median house price and those kinds of numbers this is what we can see in terms of feel on the ground and essentially see on some of the statistics that we see from contracts that were two years old ago to, to two years ahead now down the track. I think you're spot on. If you don't even bother about the stats, which we'll talk about in a second anyway, it is quite obvious that anything, especially in the house and land suburbs, your Bold Ivises, Ellen Brooks, your Averleys, Banksia Groves, Alcamos, Eglinton, Hilbert, Haynes, Hillman, all these sort of places around Perth, you are getting value to be frank below replacement cost a couple of years ago in the low 400s in 2021 that was even 300s really in 2018 2019 right so many of these suburbs now those prices we talk about bold ivis as a poster boy for this where people were in negative equity across the table they're now as you said punching 550 to six hundred thousand dollars for these houses and it all comes down to replacement costs for me yeah absolutely and just to check in on bell divers because we've used that as the litmus test for us uh, over a long period of time on the whipping boy on this podcast yeah absolutely so i did a quick check end of last week the number of houses below five hundred thousand dollars on the market in Divis. I could see about 50, but of those 50, I reckon at least half are either under offer or they're essentially new house ads. So we're talking about 25 to 30 houses below $500,000 on the market in Baldivis. Compared to how many on the market so in total in Baldivis? At the peak of the market or the trough, peak yeah. of supply, we were talking 600 properties on the market in Baldivis and we were talking about only 100 of those per annum selling. We're now talking about a total number of about 150 through all of Baldivis, remembering that it's pretty much the biggest suburb in Perth. So there's only about 150 houses on the market. And less than a third of them are under 500 grand now. Yeah. A couple of years ago or even a year ago, that would have been flipped. Yeah. That less than a third would have been over 500. Yeah, exactly. And so just to give you an example, a real life example of a Baldivis contract to contract sale. So we like to go and deal in those truths around exactly what has happened in the market. So a December 2021 purchase price, $460,000 right in that zone that we're talking about. That's just resold or under contract now for $630,000. The property hasn't changed. We did the previous valuation. We've done the new valuation. We can see that data. So it is pure value growth over two years. That's 37% increase in Baldivis over two years. (laughs) 
Oh my lord. And again, I'm going to hark back to this. It is demand and supply, but it's also replacement cost. And I think interest rates are having a big impact on this too. If interest rates were 2% lower, I don't think the focus would be entirely on these suburbs that sit within an affordability point for the median salary. If interest rates were a bit lower, I think that pressure would would be emanating all the way up to a million dollars. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's the balance when people it's talk compressing- to us- the whole market into that space. Yeah, it? spot on. And also when people talk to us about other factors coming in here. So things like the rent side of things increasing, that forces more people out to go and look for an alternative in terms of buying something. It also creates that counterpoint to the traditional argument that everyone wants to run around interest rates, i.e. that they will create an affordability issue. Well, what the market's doing is going to sort that out for itself and changing the way it shops for the price point. Is moulding by decision-making. I don't think it's moulding by preferences. I mean, everyone would prefer, I assume, being Willerton rather than Baldivis or Hammond Park rather than Baldivis, for example. But if you can't afford that because your servicing isn't stacking there anymore, everyone still needs a home. They're not renting because they can't. So they're compressed into these spaces where they're in the four to 600 space. And Hammond Park only three years ago would have been selling in 600. You're you're seeing these at 900 now. Yeah, yeah. Barely at $850,000, Yep. A couple of years ago, most of this was 550, 600. Yeah, yeah. And the same in the northern suburbs. So through Hammersley, Warwick, Greenwood, those types of places are in exactly the same price category. Padbury, Craigie. The other thing I think that the factor there, just to touch back on rents, is that people are trying to take control of their finances as well. Despite the fact they can see interest rates going up and mortgage costs potentially going up, they can still fix those in some way. But if they've been in a rental cycle and they've seen the landlord come through and increase rent severely over the last year or two, then you're trying to get yourself out of that situation and into a purchase situation and, mm. and control your finance and, and your cash flow a bit better. That's a really good point. So let's go to those real stats just to give context again. In the last week, we've seen about a thousand properties transact. That's extremely steady, if not growing year on year. Last year, it was about 900 at this time last year. The amount of properties on the market is under 5,000 properties. Now, this is the first time you and I have been in the same studio together with it being under 5,000 properties. A year ago, it was 8,600. Five years ago, it was 17,000. Yeah. Did you ever think we could get to this point? We had less than 5,000. I think when we were chatting over Christmas, we were talking about it getting under 8,000 or will it get under 8,000? Yeah, yeah. And that seemed like emergency levels back then. Yeah, absolutely. And and so... We had projected it to go under 5,000 only from a realistic point of view, i.e. do a reality check on what the market was doing because we sat around the office and went, hang on, there's a 1,000 sales a week. What we can see is that there's only about eight or 900 listings coming in every week. So the market is feeding itself, but essentially the long-term number of properties on the market or the stock available to people continues to go down week on week by about 100. So extrapolating that over a year, we would, we started the year going, okay, we're just over 5,500-odd properties on the market market by the time then we get to the end of the year maybe we're below 5,000 we were still disbelieving but here we are we're 4,900 of that it's about 2,300 houses that is still a staggering figure in terms of a city with a population of about 2 million people Mm. and you've got 2,300 houses to choose from if you go shopping this weekend yeah it's not enough and that helps me segue into conversation around construction are you guys getting more jobs from a valuation perspective for house and land packages or even just infill construction 
banks need valuations for these things are you seeing any more numbers in this space to give us some data about people making the decision to go you know what stuff renting and also stuff buying i'm actually going to build to give you a statistical point so back when we did the percentage of investors buying construction homes i was in new homes in the perth market when we did that statistic back in september it was 42 percent of the market so a huge number of investors deciding to construct a brand new house in perth that is now dropped to 31 percent when we did the stat last week so essentially what that's saying is that we've got more locals realizing that it's time that their best option to get into the marketplace is to go and build a new house and so i think right at this point in time in the market we've just tilted back because of the established dwelling values going up so rapidly in locations that we talked about place like ellenbrook for an example has gone from 500 to 550 in the matter of a month or so. So people are now looking around going, okay, so if I can still get a block of land in that location for around about 200 to 250, depending on size, and if I can still build a brand new house for 250 to 300, depending on size, then I can now get in the market at maybe 500 odd thousand dollars. So suddenly the construction cost will be below established dwelling sales, and we just tilt back in that market phase, and so construction will become popular again. And for people with a short memory or a short participation in this market, they may not believe that that's possible. They may always think that, hey, look, building is more expensive and it's a bit of a luxury choice for people however i hark back to my first ever purchase in 2009 and that was at a time where i was doing my numbers scratching my head as a young person with no context whatsoever going why would i buy an established house for 500,000 when i could buy a piece of land for 250 and build a four by two with a theater <laughs> for 150 turnkey yeah yeah which is oh just blowing God. your mind right yeah yeah so, so i can make a hundred grand just building a house yeah and that was what was running through my head 14 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? Are you su- suggesting that we're probably getting to that point now where if it's not making a buck, at least it's a, an equivalency, a parity to make that choice, which is why you're seeing locals starting to come back in? Yeah, exactly. And so if we want to talk about a price point, I just I, I grabbed an example from our team out of the Alcamos Eglinton type location, so far northern suburbs, but you're on the coast and gee, don't we love being on the coast in Perth? So admittedly, these are small sizes in terms of affordability, but you're talking about a land of 262 square metres. That'll cost you $184,000. And you're talking about a construction of a three by two at 111 square metres, and that'll cost $265,000 to build. So that adds up to a 450k get-in price for a first home buyer. And already, if you go back to that example of Ellenbrook, I know they're different locations, but there'll be similar product through Alchemos at that 550 and admittedly uh, you are economizing on house size and land size but you're getting into the market at 450 as opposed to buying now and getting it at 550 on an established dwelling which is the focus for most people i think at the moment and i have to pat myself on the back here in my first episode of 2023 people will remember i said this clearly the theme of this year will be affordability. And it really has been the theme, hasn't it? It has shaped the way that people are making decisions because it really is the only thing that is pushing people in different directions right now. People are moving to purchase properties, if not build properties in suburbs that otherwise would never have considered simply because of this factor. Yeah, absolutely. And so then we go back to the maybe what's a long-term scenario for Perth in terms of people pushing out to the next suburb along. And you alluded to it before with the Hammond Park and Baldivis example. It happens in all corners of the Perth metro area. People will skip along to the next subdivision and go, right, okay, the land here is slightly less expensive or I can get a slightly 
slightly larger block for the same price and I'll go and see the builder now. Part of the issue here for people though will be the builders only have a certain amount of capacity in terms of what they can build with the number of tradespeople operating in the single residential space in our market at the moment. And so people definitely need to do their homework there. The other factor here is that I would expect both land and construction costs to continue to go upwards. So mm. if any of the listeners are sitting out there saying, no, I'll, I'll hang on because construction costs will level out or land might fall because there'll somehow be an excess of supply, both of those things are constrained going forward and both will have a price increase. Those opinions are false is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. So don't hang out of this market. I would get into it any way you can in whichever option you were choosing to buy, whether it be density or single residential, but you need to go and participate in it because we're going through a significant growth phase, which will not have another correction. This will be the base price going forward. When we start talking about what happens in the next five years, we'll be looking back at 2023 and into 24 as being the base prices of what goes into the future. Last week's episode was with Michael McGowan, the executive director of HIA. And one thing that really stuck with me is he brought this stat out to say that with regards to construction prices over many years previously there's been periods of growth and there's been periods where prices have plateaued or dropped but the largest drop that they've seen was one percent yeah that's crazy So really it's it's prices plateau for periods and then they increase sharply based on demand and supply factors and then they plateau again yep it might seem unbelievable that we're not going to see a drop after the last three years of rises the very least it'll be plateaus but i think the base case is actually that it's going to continue to rise yep which continues to feed the established market prices. It continues to obviously feed the requirement for new supply, being demand for it, which then feeds itself in. The only time we see prices drop, and we've obviously said we rarely do, if ever, is when we have a significant oversupply of the labor force and the materials compared to the demand. And that's just not going to be reality anytime for quite a few years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And we both went to the HIO breakfast that you referred to with Michael in in last week's pod. And what I took out of it was a graph on construction costs that they held up. And that was that steel had gone down by 13%. But at the same time, cement, sand, those materials had gone up by 13%. So essentially, that meant that construction had gone up by 1% or whatever on average. Mm. But you had the two different material side of things, one going down and one going up. And that meant that construction didn't get any cheaper. For example, we might think that the labour on bricklaying has gone down, which it has a bit, but the cost of the bricks, yeah, given we up. now are in a monopoly for brick making these days, has gone up significantly. So that's yeah. balanced that out. The cost of plastering, the cost of painting, all those things have gone up. They're not going to come down significantly again. They are balancing back out any reduction in prices that you might see for roof timber, for example. Yeah, exactly. If you look at the long-term case in terms of supplying those materials, bricks is a good one because I think that we're probably undersupplied in terms of the manufacturing of that product into the future. So it says to you that that price won't go down any time soon. Yeah, and what it might lead to is what we've seen a bit of an impetus on the last few years out of necessity rather than preference is that push towards the prefab, the modular, and that has to be a solution, I think, to expand our capacity. When we were talking to Michael last week, he made it very clear that we need about twenty-five to 30,000 houses a year. The house and land single dwelling industry only has the capacity for 16,000 to 17,000 houses. So it's that gap that we need to balance out pricing at some point in the future has to come from infill, apartments, and modular homes. Yep. 
steel frame timber homes. Yeah, and uh, I've been speaking to a couple of modular builders in, in recent times. They're extremely busy. In fact, I was in regional Western Australia last week and looking at some of that product on the ground now. So funnily enough, it was an infill development within Exmouth and you had the old Norwester house next to the new modular house. And the modular product looks really good on the ground, presents really well. It'll be interesting to see how it goes for the test of time. But essentially a narrow lot product that... Yeah, ends up looking fantastic on site and there's no way in the world that you would have got enough tradesmen into town to build that product on site. Mm. And the cool thing about the northwest, or to be frank, anywhere 60 kilometres outside of Perth is that no one actually judges a timber or a steel frame house once you get outside of the city. We've spoken about how strange that phenomenon is in Western Australia. Yep. Let's go to some more anecdotes. Everyone loves to hear a story, but you've got a few for us today, probably more than usual. You're very excited about this. Let's run through some of those sub-markets and... Tell a story. I'm pulling these out from our team. So this is where the valuer goes to do a a valuation. It's usually under contract. We're doing the finance valuation. And essentially, I'm just shouting out to the team to say, hey, look, let us know when you're seeing some crazy examples out there in the marketplace. But most importantly, we feed this information back through within the team to make them comfortable around the market moving. And Because they're always backwards looking, right? It's exactly. It's tough as a value when the market's rising. Yeah, and, and we have a workshop with our team and say, hey, look, team, you need to go and speak to the agents that are most active in your area that have things under contract because we're following the market up here. We're using the most recent sales evidence. And if you're using sales that are three months or more old, they're probably not relevant to what's going on right now. So just some examples that the team has sent back and across some different locations and different price points. But Rockingham, a purchase price of a a unit, uh, two by one, really low price point, $232,500. That was in March 2023. Here we are at the back end of the year, and that's now worth two ninety dollars on the basis of a sale in the same complex next door, essentially. So dramatic price increase there. Again, Rockingham, uh, 70s three by one. That was purchased in April this year. So we're still talking about the same year. 387K, three by one on 641 square meters. And that's now worth 450K. So dramatic price increase. And what I like about these stories, Trent, is value creation for the people that bought into the market. At those price points, this is life-changing value Mm. creation or wealth creation. One of the jaw-dropping examples we've got through Como. A quick turnaround in terms of sales. So this was settled in June. 23. So that, let's imagine that maybe the transaction was happening in the month or so before that. Uh, townhouse at 650k. That we're talking about a three by one, pretty typical Como in a complex 70s type construction. That's now under contract at $811,000. Six months, 25% increase in value. So they've bought and sold in six months. Yeah, so there's a relationship breakdown or something like that going on there. I'm told that they painted the unit. Maybe you don't paint the unit because then the relationship doesn't break down. Well, you'll make $150,000. Paint the house, get divorced, make one hundred fifty grand. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm not sure. Do you end up paying CGT on that? I'm not sure because well, you're there for the less than a year. Yeah, less than a year. I mean, the HEO, yep. you can put a private rule in to say this thing, this thing, this thing. But yep. yeah, I wouldn't be uh, betting that you get these full discount. Yeah, I thought we'd just find a first home buy type example. So we're out in Caversham, house and land package that would have cost 440k in 2020 exactly the same product just down the road we're talking about two by two a terrace home style design that's just under contract now for 615k and again so not dissimilar to some of those other percentage increases that's a 40 percent increase in value and we talked earlier about the baldivis one that was a 37 percent increase Mm. in value in a short period of time and i know that for a fact that this 
two-story, two-by-two was a steel frame home as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's a different type of product for the, the suburbs. It was created in a time when a builder was looking for an alternate method of construction. So it's really interesting too to think through the fact that from a value point of view, we think the value of the improvement side of things, they're actually increased over a period of time and the land didn't actually go up by that much. It, it, so that might be a lead for people to go on, around and look at what land's doing in the in those well, types of locations. I think you're spot on. What you're referencing there is, again, that replacement value. I don't think land values have increased that much in the last three years. No. I don't see a lot of evidence to say we've seen 30 40% increase in land value. We certainly haven't seen that out in the estates. No, definitely right? not. We've seen... 5 to 10% increase. I expect we're going to see 10 to 20% increase in the next year or so in land yep. just because construction costs are going up and just the, the fact we are seeing the herd start to move to construction again, which will create more demand in that space, yep. more of an ability to charge more. But I genuinely believe this whole growth cycle right now is essentially an inflation-driven cycle. Yep. Inflation on the cost of housing, of shelter. And it's led people to focus more on essentially the rent return they're getting as investor or simply the roof over the head rather than being fickle on this product does it suit me do i want a steel frame will i pay more for a couple of years ago that property would not have got anyone purchasing it yep. now people just go location roof over the head fairly new bang i'll pay what i have to yes yeah absolutely and on the land point i'm really confident that land prices and therefore then values because we'll have the evidence but those land prices will increase across most estates across Perth in the next few months and into next year so agreeing with what you're saying essentially if you stand back from it what's my evidence for that well mm. established house prices have gone up in those estates and eventually the developers will look around and say well hang on if Ellenbrook again that great example if the 500 has gone to 550 I'm not going to let the builder keep all of the profit that or, or the increase or whatever you want to call that extra margin that just or came the along in the 10%. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to take my cut of this and I know now that the demand is coming along in terms of construction so I can put my prices up. Mm. And I see it too. I think that's a short-term view here is that in addition to just generally prices growing as a reflection of replacement cost, I vehemently agree with you. I think land prices as a basis of value, there's only one way they can go. And, and I think it's important to note that because they really haven't moved a lot, ironically, as a portion of the growth we've seen over the last few years in general property prices with a house on them. Yeah, yeah. Then so if we start thinking about that five-year question. Let's do it. We're confident right now. We're confident into next year that we'll have price increases next year. I think that the year after, I'm still relatively confident in terms of us needing to work our way through this demand and supply cycle, i.e. we're not going to catch up in one year mm. in 2024 on the construction of infill development, be that apartments or townhouses, and single residential houses required to equalise the supply of property into Perth. There's always a lead time. Yep, exactly. So I'm very confident on one year being a lead time and relatively confident on the two-year lead time in terms of catch-up. I'm still very confident in terms of population pressure coming into WA. The only part that I'd probably start questioning is the pressure from investors, the pressure they're bringing to our market at the minute in terms of driving values up. How sustainable is that two to three years from now? Yeah, so they are chasing yields at the minute and we definitively have gross yields of 4 to 6% pretty easily in Perth at the minute. And it's they're not much that higher hard than the rest that. of the country. Absolutely. So I expect as capital values go up, rents will level off a little bit from the demand side of things and so we start to look less attractive. 
What that does do, though, is mean that the locals get another look in or we've still got that population pressure of people coming in from overseas and interstate trying to buy into our market. So it sustains that pressure on values. It just means that maybe the price increase isn't as dramatic as it might be right this minute. And I think that's a preference. I don't think any of us, you, me, anyone in the industry, homeowners, prospective homeowners want to see dramatic price rises i think we want to see stable sustainable price rises yep. that go for the, all of these five years rather than see a huge shoot over the next two years and then a bust again yeah yeah if i can put my spin on it i don't see that happening i don't see a huge shoot over the next two years and then a bust mainly because busts can only come bubble bursts busts can only come in a market when you see a massive withdrawal of demand and a massive overshoot of supply now I don't see the reason why we would see a withdrawal of demand that is significant to the level of 2015 that we saw once all the projects went away with Chevron, for example, the big gas projects. Yep. We don't have those projects. The demand we have right now is not being instigated by mega projects in the Northwest like it was before. Yep. It's not a superficial transient population that we saw, all right? Yep. This is a sustainable population of people who want to live here for the long term. That's continuing. It's above average. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because the amenity, the offer, the sales pitch as a state that we provide to this, the nation and the world isn't changing anytime soon. In fact, it's getting better. Yep. And then you look to the supply side of things and you go, okay, do we have that ability to really overshoot with supply to really fix this problem very quickly in the next two years or even the next three to four to five years? I genuinely don't think we have. I think this is a problem that you and I and many of the leaders in this industry are talking about next year, the year after, the year after. We don't have the work base to overshoot it in the house and land package space. We're still not even close to making apartment buildings stack up, let alone overshoot from greed and opportunity right yep. when we're building 30 35,000 homes a year come talk to me about overshooting yeah we're not even near 20,000 at the moment and getting to the 30 35 comes from a bunch of mega apartment projects or a swathe of medium tier medium density projects across the state stacking up and as david cresp said at the hia panel a couple of weeks ago we need to see ridiculous increases in apartment prices to incentivize developers to even get close to that. Touching on the single resi point, we're going to be lucky to get to 15,000 per annum and HIA is saying we need 25,000. Yeah. So on, on those projections, we're 10,000 short per annum. That is taking into account medium and, and high density projects. And so then you flip back to how quickly do you bring a complex together of say 250 apartments. That does not happen overnight. It takes a lot of planning approval and then a lot of QS in terms of trying to get the design right and the cost right. Five years. And, and exactly. So there are some projects bubbling away and Dave obviously is the expert on this, Dave Cress, but from what we see around the place, there's not that many of those projects in the pipeline. So there's barely two or three of them. Yeah. So there's less than a thousand apartments coming to the market. It's just phenomenally undersupplied. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't see the white knight coming through who turns into the grim reaper at some point for prices in the next few years. Yeah. So what I hope we see is a sustained probably 10% growth every year, to yep. be frank, for the next five years. Yep. I hope it's not 25% causing massive issues in homelessness and social housing that we've already chronically got problems on. Yeah, But I actually see that as being a possibility. I see significant, substantial issues when it comes to price rises coming through in the next couple of years that are going to displace people. And the limiter on this is going to be 
interest rates. But the insulation we have from that is the cash rate is not set based on what people think about our market. Yeah, absolutely. So, And we're uh, already seeing massive, massive conversations happening with regards yeah. to affordability in Sydney, aren't we? You yeah. can talk to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen that market just edging away. To be brutally honest, I'm still really surprised at how hard it's run in the last most of this calendar year. Uh, I, would, I would have expected 10, 15% drop in Sydney. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some core logic data out last week that suggests that's just the, the week on week 28 day scenarios dropped down by a couple of percentage points. How much of that data is solid is another question, but obviously it's there's a sentiment part about that as well. I am just consistently blown away by that affordability question over there in terms of buying an apartment that's a mil and a half, two mil, buying a house that consistently the stories are character houses in good locations that are three and four million dollars to get into. So there's a lot of debt hanging around the, that city in terms of trying to get into that marketplace. Lower incomes. Same interest rate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the the pressure will definitely come in terms of interest rates. Not to you know, we don't want to get too international in terms of our economics here. It's a bit beyond yep. us, but or me. Uh, but uh, you know, US pausing on interest rate rises, essentially inflation under control in Australia. Depending on which metrics you actually want to take notice of, take notice of the real metrics, not the RBA's forward estimate of what inflation might be. Mm. And you conceivably see a, a stage next year where essentially interest rates have leveled off severely, or even go backwards because of what's happening on the East Coast. And this is where I see the instigation. If you look at the movements in RBA's numbers versus the rest of the G7, we're about eight months behind their movements. I think we're going to see the Fed move down sometime in the early new year. And therefore, I'd really expect us to see the second half of next year, if not already have really stabilized, which gives again that, that confidence into the market for planning financially. But the second we see a drop, that's where I see that real movement in Perth just start to hit supercharge. Yeah. And so I think we've probably started a new cycle here in terms of growth from the bottom of the market, as yep. in the cheapest sector of the like market. a new baseline. Yeah. And so that growth will continue to filter up as that wealth creation that we talked about earlier filters upwards into the market people can use that wealth creation and buy themselves a more expensive property in a slightly better location or bigger for whatever their plans are into the future Mm. and so therefore the value increase goes up the chain when you think about fundamentals it's not demand supply holding growth back and an excessive amount of substitutable products like the rental market the only thing dampening growth right now are the interest rates. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that leads through into market sentiment. And if you're talking about the above 800K market, number one, there's that affordability from a cash flow point of view and free cash to go and pay off that home loan. But then number two is to go into that higher level of the market and the confidence to say, oh, there's not that many people buying it two mil. I'm going to go and buy it two mil. People want to see that FOMO and competition at that end of the market as well. I want to give a shout out to one of your mates, Chris Hinchcliffe who's the director of Resi at Heron Tobwire. He put out an interesting post on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. He was essentially asking the question and questioning the validity of the median house price numbers being reported by Rewa. He's a valuer, right? He's not someone who's obviously blowing the market up on purpose, but he's looking at going, I am seeing from my job huge price increases, nearly nothing happening in the three, dollars $400,000 mark anymore. Why is our median house price being reported by Rewa still high 500s? They must be wrong. 
Yep. That's a pretty big statement to make by the director of a residential valuation firm in WA. Yeah. And Where does it come from? Oh, well, it's just coming from the purchase price contracts that we see. You know, we, we see a lot of data through our business. As we talked to before, we fairly easily think that what was the 400K in 2021 is now the 600K in 2023. So if the median house prices back in 2021 was high fours to low fives, why isn't it now... 600s to 700s so still sitting at 575 according to rewa so there's got to be a jump out there somewhere the only reasoning i can see is that there's so many transactions down at the lower end of the market and that's just dragging a median statistic downwards and we'll see that change as there's more and more transactions coming through you know above the five seventy five thousand dollar mark that's the only way you can explain it because not for a second would i question the efficacy of the data at rewa not for a second it has to be that this the answer is there is still so much so much data coming through transactions below yep. the median house price that it is simply just warping the median yep. we are still seeing growth house on house year on year it's all happening it's just that more people are transacting turning their properties over below the median house price whether it's opportunistic investors selling or new investors coming in or first yep. home buyers who are the real FOMO market as you spoke to and there's just far less activity happening especially between one and three million dollars yeah exactly and so less people need to sell less people can buy yeah yeah they'll march up that property value ladder as we get more of those sales above the median house price so that kind of 575 600 as they transact more if you're selling a house in say we talked uh, alluded to say mid northern suburbs so warwick hammersley greenwood it's jumped from expectations under 700 to just under 800 now so you've potentially just made $100,000 tax-free. How are you going to spend that when you take that money from your principal place of residence and apply it to the next place? You're talking about upsizes. Yeah, exactly. Upsizes probably hasn't been the biggest market, has it? In the same way that downsizes hasn't really been, I think it's just this market at the moment is massively driven by first-home buyers and investors. Yeah, exactly. And price point. So just exactly people coming in and going, that's cheap. Well, that's the market, isn't yeah, yeah. it? In that price that's point. cheap. I've got to come and buy it. Yeah. At some point in time, you're right. That wealth effect starts to be created as it ripples up from the bottom yep. to those people who are sitting in essentially middle Perth going, you know what? I'd like to get into the second tier in the second quartile of Perth. I'd like to jump from Warwick to Duncraig or Duncraig to Leadable and these sort of conversations. And what that eventually does is push that up. And the theory is, fact here, our theoretical cap on prices is Sydney prices. Yes, we've seen that in the last boom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has happened before in 2007. We th- we actually, it wasn't theory, it was reality. We got to Sydney prices. Yep. It was an overshoot. Sydney was well depressed because of obviously the dynamics in the market back then. Yeah. And then it's pushed way back out the other way. The pendulum swung exactly the other way. Yep. There is nothing theoretically or factually stopping us getting to that price. I'm not suggesting we're going to get anywhere near it, but it's important to note that there is no affordability issue in the same way that we have in Sydney that would stop us getting there. It all then just comes down to expectations and belief in Perth about what we should be paying, what we shouldn't, and therefore what the behaviours end up being. Yeah, and then we go back to that question about five years. So mm. uh, do we have a median house price that is around that Sydney? You know, do they equalise over does a Sydney period of time? Does Sydney come down? Does yeah, Perth yeah. go up and meet somewhere closer? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, this is me being, again, a negative Nelly about Perth prices, just like we've all been brought up to be in the last, last decade. Yep. I don't think we've got the same super cycle happening that we did back then. We have a very strong, stable cycle I think we're going into and I think Sydney's still got so much wealth and pressure that will keep their prices higher yep. relative to how they dropped back in the early 2000s. 
but I genuinely, five years from now, our median is 575. I've been saying it for the last couple of years. I don't see any reason why our median isn't in the mid to high sevens by the end of the cycle we're in. Don't disagree with that. And the big factor that we've got in Perth is that we have developable land, whether it be infill or uh, extremities of the Perth metro area. It's available for us to develop definitively in that five-year horizon, whereas Sydney is very constrained. You cannot go to the outskirts of Sydney and grab some Inglobe land and turn it into a subdivision. It's just not there. And I think that's what and keeps available. them high. Exactly. So it yeah. artificially inflates their values within the Sydney metropolitan area, essentially. So we looked at prices. What about lifestyle? I want to talk about infrastructure. Metronet, we can talk about what the plan is there, how it's pushing along. What other projects are going to change our life in Perth to make us even more of an attractive place to live one of the things that happens in a career like mine where you start valuing 20 odd years ago you see the city change i'm an optimist by nature and you look at new projects and think wow this is really going to change our city but in hindsight now that i've been doing this for a long period of time is that it doesn't change overnight because those projects can take a long period of time and they get created in one cycle and things stall so my best example it's front and center would be elizabeth key Mm -hmm. so that was a colin barnett led decision to go with the key probably think it should be about three times the size of what it is for Perth unfortunately but hey we're down the track we've got Chevron down there now we've got the Ritz Carlton we've got it's an EQ1 and 2 just being finished so apartments and hotel and office spaces coming along and the construction of a, a new Brookfield-led 60,000 square meter office. So Five years a, from now, that will be done. Yeah, all of that. Five years from now, there'll be people living, working, taking part in community activities, all of those kinds of things in, in that area. Yeah, exactly. Driving our market. So then you go, what's MetroNet look like? If you get all of that to an end point, We've been going through a really high construction phase here in terms of infrastructure, and it will continue to evolve over a period of time. So as we finish one Metronet project, we start the next one. And so the Armadale line with the line being put above the level crossings, great project, really good infrastructure change for in terms of freeing up that traffic all along the southeast corridor. I think it changes the face of that train line and the suburbs around it. I mean, it's no secret, it's a fact that some of the lowest socioeconomic and demographic regions of Perth sit along the back end of that train line. Does yeah. it change that? Does it markedly change it? Or is it simply just a, another selling point to get people to give it a shot? You'd hope that it makes a much more livable space. I mean, the artist's impressions of what it looks like underneath the elevated train line look really good. Things like just getting around those suburbs from one suburb to the next. If you're there at peak hour at the minute, trying to get through some of those level crossings are just completely ridiculous in terms of the time. So hopefully that creates a better lifestyle opportunity for people all through that corridor. The other thing is development you know it creates spaces or or zones around those stations so you think we should see scheme amendments for rezoning some more infill around those stations yeah you've got to bring some of that density you can't rely on the density you've got to get people using it you've got to spend all that money on on lifting this train line you've got to get people who are going to use it walk score so i would expect the city of gosnells the city of armadale and the city of canning to be really having a look at how do we pump up the the density of all the properties within 800 metres of these stations. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of R20, R30, R40 there. I want to see a lot more. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see the extension, as, as you've alluded to as well, to Byford. Yep. Five years from now, we'll see most of Haynes and Hilbert having been developed as well. I hope that's the end of it, to yep. be frank. Yeah, yeah. Because yep. it just keeps going and going. But 
I expect we're probably going to at some point in the next 10 to 15 years start to see Serpentine, Mardella, yep. Mundajong, all these areas have a look as well. Yeah. And so, you know, to the north, we, we've finished some of the train lines and get some more development around those stations going. One of the th- other things I'm interested to see happen is having had a look at the Karen Up East apartments just being finished there. I know we're talking about a particular price point, but the concept there of bringing density to a lifestyle location in a shopping centre, mm. what's that look like there? And then what's that look like in other suburbs? Is that possible? It looks like a 24-7 traffic jam in 2023, <laughs> to be honest, mate. So in 2028, uh, I'm concerned about Karen Up Road. Yeah, yeah. But talking north, Henley Brook will be finished. Yep. Brabham will be finished. Yep. Ellenbrook's pretty much already finished. Yeah, yeah. You see Clementine Estate on the east side of that. We finished. We're talking about Bullsbrook. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, we'll see an extension, I think, of Tonkin Highway and that sort of space all the way up there. Yeah. That's where it will be going. Yanchep will be finished. Yes. Or the thought or getting very close. And both Ellenbrook and Yanchep connected by trains. That would be cool. Yeah. South again, the east-west train line between the Mandra train line and the Armadale train line being connected too. That really brings a livability score around Canning Vale and, and these areas. Yep. I think the back of Jandicourt Air- Airport starts to get developed as well. East Court will be developing Glen Iris Golf Course yep. as well. There's a few thousand homes there. Yeah, yeah. The back of Belia, these yep. sort of areas. Wandi will be finished. Ancatel Casarina will, will have a lot of homes getting built through there too around the yeah, Costco. Absolutely. Yep, yep. East Wanneroo. Yeah. I mean, we haven't spoken about that. Everywhere east of, of Lenore Street and north of Ocean Reef Road, yep. uh, that, all of that area, where essentially where the fires have just gone through, yeah. unfortunately, that area has been brought up by most of the big land developers. That yep. will, you, You'll see some bigger states by 2028 Moving to that location. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a consolidated airport. Imagine that, where you could catch a plane into Perth and be in the same terminal for all of the people that service Perth. And then you go to the city, you've got ECU campus humming. A number yep. of student accommodation apartments have been built because they've been substantiated by the number of students we've got. Yeah. And then talking about the city, again, we can segue into the last piece of this puzzle, apartments, yeah. high-rise apartments. At some point in time, and this is where you know you start to see scale and overshooting happen, yep. at some point in time, numbers do balance, they do stack up, and there will be a renaissance of apartment developments across Perth. It will be throughout the city of Perth. It will be in South Perth, Scarborough, Scarborough, yep. uh, Fremantle. Yep. Uh, we're going to, at some point by 2028, surely the answer has to come from the high-rise space. It'll be when, the end of this five-year period, though, I think. Yes, exactly. When you talk about a city maturing and projects that are game-changing, I would say that ECU campus is probably, I've come to the realisation over the last few months, that is the one. It's um, the best thing to happen to Perth in 20 years, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. There's 60,000 square metres of space in there. There's a different a number of different faculties. I'm told 10,000-odd students would be going there. And if you reflect on, as we travel around, around the world or just pop across Australia and go to Melbourne. I remember going 20-odd years ago, the first impression I got in Melbourne was the mixture of people in that location. And it was a mixture of people that lived there, students, Mm. people working there, professionals. And so if we can get Perth to mature in that same way, it becomes, and I know that Basil's been in here recently, but it becomes a much more livable space. And then that student-led renaissance and the accommodation for students then leads into apartments. Mm. Uh, We've got the hub substantially out of the ground now and seemingly coming out of the ground really quickly. So why wouldn't we replicate that in some of the other locations? Well, there's still Um, some land next door, isn't there? Exactly. And then, you know, Basil touched on it, but going down to East Perth, there's so much land down there. So much land. It's Those car parks, just, I can't drive past without shaking my head. What city in the world has open 
bitumenized car parks just sitting on the eastern fringe doing absolutely nothing. It's yeah. just ridiculous. And a cemetery that no one's had relatives alive for for over 100 years. I better go and check. I might have some in there. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Five years from now before we tie up. Fun question. Is Basil Zemplis the Premier of Western Australia? I'm not sure what odds I can get on that right now, Trent, but I'd be taking them because, you know, there's a few factors there in terms of, number one, Basil's obviously very presentable. His communication skills are quite ridiculous. And then from a platform point of view, I would expect that he's probably got a fair bit of media clout behind him if he's um, going to have a crack at the, the big job. Us sand gropers, we all have a chip on our shoulder. We all feel like we're a better city than everyone else thinks we are. And I think what we're dying for is a showman to present us to the world and say, we are absolutely the place to come for tourism and to live. And I couldn't think of a better person than him. And it's just whether that suits him, suits the political spectrum at the time. Notwithstanding the fact that I think we've got the best minister for planning and housing that we've had in my lifetime, John Kerry right now. Yep. But five years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Zamplis is sitting in the Premier's office. Yeah, he'll be somewhere around it. That's for sure, I would expect, Trent. We'll yeah. see what happens. But yeah, 2028 is going to be very interesting. Brendo, five years of having a great chat together. I hope we have another five. It'll be absolutely. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Right? <laughs> Ten years. Wouldn't that be amazing if we got to that? But thank you so much for everything you helped me with in getting this thing up. Essentially, bringing a bit of fun and data to this state. It is one of the most listened to episodes every time we have you in. Yeah, cool. And uh, hopefully it continues to be. So yeah. thank you very much, mate. And Trent, thanks to you for elevating property as a topic within Perth. From our point of view, we look to employ lots of young people every year and for them to get a flavour of what property looks like through listening to a podcast and the career opportunities, whether it be as a value or anybody else in our industry, I think it's been fantastic to elevate the profile of the industry. Thanks, mate. We'll keep doing it. Cheers, That's our job. Thank I'll you. speak to you soon. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!